This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. I'm Lee Rippett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. And we just wanted to mention one of our advertisers, Oberfeld Snowcap, as they're supporting the podcast for the week, and we'll have a brief message from them later on in the podcast. We're currently recording on December the 18th, 2019, and it's our last podcast of the year. Well, I think it's been great. I want to thank everyone for listening. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the, you know, obviously the first time we've done this. 2019 was yeah. our first year. Uh, yeah, it's fun. 2019 has, I think, been a great year overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been exciting. We've grown, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as a publication. We've watched uh, the industry shift mm-hmm. uh, continue. I mean, and thank you to our listeners too for being patient, just because I've never done this before. Craig, you've never done it before, so and it's been great. Your feedback has been very supportive and very heartfelt too. So thank you very much, and thanks for joining me today, Craig. Hello, everyone. And I think we have a very busy agenda for today. So we're going to be starting out with Apple, then moving into bespoke tailoring, then to ladies who lunch, and then wrapping up with a watch brand that was moving into the Toronto area. So Craig, to kick off off with the Apple Store. It looks like there's a massive flagship that's opening in the Toronto Eaton Centre, obviously in downtown. So it wasn't that just there already and they're moving into a new location? Yeah, yeah, they moved uh, downstairs to a oh. new location that's quite a bit bigger. Mm. Um, nice. The old one, which uh, was extremely crowded, it's the closest one to where I live, uh, uh, just under 5,000 square feet. So it was definitely not the largest in the country. And mm. now they've got about almost, I think, 14,000 square feet or so, I think a little bit more than that, uh, okay. downstairs. So they like literally went underground and yeah no i mean this this deal was in the works for a long time i mean apple is is you know heavily investing in canada is certainly uh looking at doing more stores th- mm. in the country Macworld just announced uh they found out that it's a store almost as large is going to open at the uh, oh. cf fairview mall in oh, right toronto on. as well and okay. again you know i'm i'm only confirming what they're saying uh, even though we know these things are happening and yeah, yeah, yeah. okay uh, yeah yeah i mean the new uh, cf toronto eaton center store it's it's certainly different than the, uh, the the last one it's got some interesting components well i've practically owned every single iphone that has been in existence over time but i've also had the displeasure of either backing over over it or crushing it or dropping it in the toilet or flinging it off a roller coaster. But as a result, I've had to go into a lot of Apple stores in my day, and the Vancouver Pacific Center location is the closest to me. So I'm very familiar with the look, the feel, the vibe, the architectural kind of look, feel, merchandising there. Um, when I look at the photos in the Toronto Eaton Center location article that we have, the continuity of that vibe is there that you can say, aha, that is an Apple store. But there's definite like architectural differences that you can notice there. Like the lighting is a different concept, but still on point. Um, and some of the photos that we have from the outside looking in have these big, huge glass panels that close up at night to divide the store from the mall space. But then when it's open, they pivot 90 degrees each of these panels to let the traffic flow customers come and go but at the same time are still in the way enough that is architecturally there and appealing. So that's different than the stores that I've seen. So I was wondering if this was done out of necessity because it's uh, dealing with the nuances of the Toronto Eaton Centre location that has been around for decades, or if this was part of the blueprint of flagships going forward. Um, I don't know if there's any in Canada. In the United States, I've seen a few in shopping centres, and uh, those things kind of swing like they'll... I don't even know what you call them, but they're they're like they like pivot. Or yeah, something. I think that's right. Yeah, they pivot and they can close when the store is closed. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be like a doorway and they open up. So it's kind of a neat looking uh, thing. 
Um, something I thought was interesting too is the uh, ceilings uh, are. I don't know if you call it backlit or no. I mean they're they're lit. I mean it's because the ceiling heights are not super high, uh, mm-hmm. but it makes them appear to be a little bit higher, and it's just sort of you know an optical illusion yeah. that you'll see. And like Holt Renfrew in Vancouver has the same thing in the area around uh, Louis Vuitton and Tiffany. Uh, you know they've they've lit the ceiling there, mm-hmm. and, and Square One I think it did that with the beauty department, and it's just sort of a way I think to make the space feel a little bit grander when it isn't. And mm. I know that there's extra square footage that's available at this location that they were able to utilize in other shopping feature concepts like the Avenue. So I was wondering, what is that? And if you could explain that for our listeners, because it may be unique to this location. Yeah, I mean, a few others, have, you know, other ones around the world have it. It's it's really a place that people can come and try things out. So, you know, Apple does release new products or, you know, updates on existing products that they've got. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a way to, you know, engage the consumer to come in and, and be able to, you know, test things out, try things, Experience learn it. about them. And, uh yeah. Uh, you know, because the, the retail experience around an Apple store is just that. I mean, it's meant to be an experience because you can also buy all that stuff online quite easily. And sometimes when you're even in the store, you're buying it online. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, which is, I, I think, what we're going to be seeing with a lot of retail in the future, sort of that blurring of, you know, the online in-store mm-hmm. just into, you know, it's really a sales channel. But well, and other than the avenue that wraps around the outside, I know what the extra square footage, they also had the forum is another concept that they have. Um, what's that all about? Yeah, from what I could tell, um, it's kind of an education spot. It's it's a gathering place. They've got this uh, large screen on the back wall, and there's these seats, and they host different education programs, and it's called, uh, what is it, Today at Apple? It's not the only store in Canada that has the forum, um, although... I hadn't actually really noticed it in any other locations. This is quite prominent just because this store is quite big. Like I said, it's it might be the largest uh, Apple store in Canada currently in terms of its overall retail square footage. I mean, Yorkdale is quite large and, you know, um, a couple of others are pretty big. But uh, this one, you know, I think looks unlike any other Apple store in Canada currently. And a quick word from our sponsor, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's podcast. They are founded 40 years ago and is a full-service real estate and retail advisory firm that focuses on retail tenant representation, strategic planning, property, and project leasing, as well as real estate investment sales. Thank you, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's support, and we'll look forward to working with you more. Well, the second article that we wanted to bring into the podcast is also coming out of Toronto in the Yorkville area, but there's a bespoke tailor that had just opened that you wanted to highlight, Craig. So tell us about him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. I have visited uh, Brenton and Co is what it's called. It's a uh, bespoke tailor. What they do basically is they, they make a suit almost from scratch, I guess you would say. So uh, they walked us through the process. It was pretty neat. Uh uh, you know, they take your measurements, uh, you can uh, go and then look at all kinds of different fabric swatches that they've got there. Essentially, you can pick the fabric, you can pick the buttons. So it's kind of a customization. They will fit uh, a garment to your body and that can be a suit or, I mean, in theory, they said they can make anything. I think they made a track suit for someone or, uh, or something like that. And Well, I thought it was interesting because I thought bespoke was just for like men's suits. So now that I'm hearing that bespoke is really um, tailoring any kind of clothing, whether that be men's, women's, or suits or otherwise. But what other kinds of um, clothing do you think would be fit for bespoke? Um, so, you know, it's, it's really made for your body shape, uh, which is, you know, really convenient for some people. Like professional athletes sometimes have, you know, really odd looking bodies of very large quads or, you know, big biceps or whatever, you know, um, something that, you know, a regular off the rack suit might not fit so well. So, uh, you know, some people just have to have these the custom things made just because, you know, they're 
bodies are of an unusual shape. Or in some cases, you know, if a person's shoulder one is higher than the other, I actually have that. Uh, you know, they're able to sort of compensate for that with this design. So if you go into the space, it's kind of neat. They've got these different paper cutouts that are the measurements of these people. Some of them are actually celebrities. They've got quite a roster of people uh, who go in there uh, to have things made. Also, they do uh, television and movies and uh, film commercials. You know, they'll do clothing for that as well. And uh, Well, when I look at the different levels of suit making, I kind of start out with what I grew up at, like looking at the Sears catalog where you look at the book and you say, yes, this is the, the suit. So there's no measurement involved there. It's a small, medium, large, and maybe your waist size. But... When you kind of move into the next level, like I think we've reported on Indochino many times before. So there is still like made to measure, but there's still a a cost savings involved with a certain different points that you can kind of mix and match to kind of bring the suit all together at a, a favorable price point. Whereas Brenton & Co. is likely measuring every single piece and building every single and making each part from scratch, which would likely be reflective in the quality as well as the price. So what would something cost at Brenton & Co., Craig? Um, Brenton & Co., you know, their cheapest suit, I think, was $1,600, and they can go way up from there depending on the fabric. And some of the fabrics were very luxurious. Mm. There was, a, I think, a Vicuna um, fabric that Vicuna. we were touching, and he said if they made a jacket out of that, I think a long coat, uh, the price would be about $70,000. Wow. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and one thing I thought was interesting was the eco-focus. Um, you know, Ira was explaining that, you know, these things are made in a production facility, which is like a short walk away from, you know, the retail space or showroom on Cumberland Street. It's actually in uh, 1240 Bay Street. It's a, an office building, at, you know, between Bay Street and Bel Air on uh, Cumberland Street. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to, you know, see. Be, so I, I think we'll see a little bit more of this uh, coming down the pipeline, especially as... Uh, you know, a lot of brand like luxury brands, which, you know, a Tom Ford suit probably cost more than what you're going to pay at uh, a Brenton and co. Uh, uh, you know, not everyone's looking for, you know, a designer label. And, uh, you know, that they were they were also saying that, you know, in some cases they're able to do it, you know, better quality, better fit, better fabric, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, too. So uh, in some respects, you might get a better value from, a, you know, a bespoke tailor than you would just, you know, walking to Prada or Gucci or uh, Zania or you know whatever store and uh, just buying something off the rack and you, you might even get a cheaper price to, to as well. Well and speaking of luxury we wanted to bring up a third article for the podcast to do with St. John. Now they're a U.S. based luxury women's fashion brand known for the ladies who lunch but uh, they do have a location already in Vancouver that's been around for quite some time and I think it's in the Vancouver Fairmont Hotel and we had a recent article that where they played musical chairs and opened up in a new location in the same hotel but this is a brand new location in Toronto on the Mink Mile. So, Craig, tell us a little bit about what this means for the neighborhood and the brand itself. Yeah, I mean, I think it spells confidence uh, amongst retail in, on Bloor Street in Toronto. So, St. John is the U.S.-based uh, fashion brand. Uh, it was kind of known for, you know, ladies who lunch. It's, it's very much kind of the power suit. Uh, it almost looks like Chanel in some ways, some of the suits that they have there. Um, it's been in Vancouver, interestingly enough, since 2003. There has been a store there for that long. Um, when I lived there uh, in Vancouver, it, it relocated over to uh, another space. It was actually Griffin's Restaurant. Uh, it used to be there. I, I think you've actually been there a few times. And You bet. I loved their breakfast, <laughs> uh, like their dessert bar, d- dessert buffet. That oh, I'm so I'm sad it's gone. But yes, yay for St. John for taking yeah, it over. That's right. And then Dior <laughs> took the uh, space where you know St. John was, plus 
like a gift yes. shop and some storage, right? Like Dior is gigantic. It's almost 10,000 square feet in Vancouver. But yeah, mm-hmm. and they're very different looking because, you know, the, I was just in Vancouver, the St. John Boutique. It's it's very plush, you know, beautiful carpeting, crystal chandeliers, big, you know, windows as per the Hotel Vancouver. It's a historical building. Uh, the one in Toronto was very kind of California casual. I mean, it's it's beautiful and luxurious, okay. but Full. it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a rather simple interior. They've got these silver kind of like palm tree looking things in the windows uh, uh very elegant like they're they're not tacky in any way whatsoever and um you know beautiful store it's actually the first one in north america where you can do custom buttons speaking of bespoke <laughs> oh not, wow. not entirely yeah. bespoke but you can you can you know there's a selection of uh, customized customize, exactly yeah. yeah which is kind of on trend so you can uh, you know choose buttons that can be put on there you can also bring in uh, an older say saint john jacket and have the buttons repurposed as well have some new ones put on there too so um, I think China is the only other place that they uh, do that with St. John's stores right now. So, and there's, yeah, 36 mm. uh, buttons to choose from. And I was having a look because they've got this like table where they're doing it. And, uh, no, I, I thought that, you know, it was, it was really lovely. But, and, you know, sort of speaking to the bigger picture, you know, Bloor Street, uh, uh, you know, you like, you know, the Yorkdale Shopping Center has seen a lot of luxury brands opening and Yorkville Avenue, again, you know, with Brunello Cuccinelli, Chanel, I mean, there's been a lot of activity there. So I think, you know, St. John moving on to the Mink Mile, I think, is a good sign because uh, it's going to continue that clustering of luxury brands that's going to attract shoppers to the neighborhood. Um, I was just talking to my buddy Nishan a few days ago. He's actually quoted in the article and uh uh, he was saying that, you know, there's a very big difference between, uh, you know, Bloor, Yorkville and Yorkdale, whereas, you know, Yorkdale is a clustering of brands. People can go in and efficiently shop for them. And, you know, Bloor, Yorkville, you know, you can spend a day. I mean, you can obviously shop in the, the, in the experience. Yeah, and you can shop in the luxury stores. You can you know, get your hair and nails done. You can, uh, you know, go to a fine restaurant. It's, it's a bit more of a, a city experience. And that's not something very many cities in North America really have. It's sort of a high density, uh, you know, wealthy area to shop in. I mean... You know, I can count them probably probably in one hand in North America. Really, there aren't that many of them that uh, are, are like that. So, you know, I think it's a good sign. Uh, you know, JLL did uh, the deal uh, for that. And, you know, Diane Lem, who, uh, uh, you know, did the deal with JLL, she was, uh, uh, you know, we did a report on a report that JLL put together about the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, JLL was very enthusiastic about Bloor Yorkville, uh, saying that, you know, this area has a lot of potential. We expect to see more luxury brands moving in. And, and I think that's great. I mean, Holt Renfrew is uh, being renovated. It should be finished in the spring. Italy is opened, and that's definitely driving traffic to the neighborhood. I've been watching, and, you know, certainly we've seen an increase in foot traffic already and, and interest. So I think the neighborhood is really coming together. It's still going to take another, you know, couple of years for everything to be finished. But uh, it's pretty exciting because it's really the only, you know, super fancy high-density neighborhood in Canada that has that mix of, uh, you know, shopping and residential and everything else. Yeah, and uh, the final article that we wanted to bring up for the podcast has to do with a Swedish watch brand, Daniel Wellington, that's opening up a store in, in uh, Quebec. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Craig? So, uh, yeah, Daniel Wellington has opened uh, its first store in Canada. It's at the CF Carrefour Laval, which is in suburban Montreal. And it's interesting because, you know, you could go to your, I don't know, you can go to a Hudson Bay department store or, you know, the, the watch retailer Watch It, which is, you know, a multi-brand retailer. There's other retailers out there too, although a lot of multi-brands are, are starting to close their stores. And I can explain why. Um, brands like Daniel Wellington now are opening their own direct-to-consumer stores. So... Again, this is the first in Canada. I'm sure we'll see quite a few more of these. Uh, again, you know, you would find these in your local Bay department store. Well, now you can actually go to the Daniel Wellington store. They've got, you know, the full selection. Uh, you can, you know, kind of 
get what you want. You can, uh, you know, order things. Uh, it's definitely a trend that we're seeing international brands coming into the market uh, in Canada, I should say, generally, and uh, are opening their own stores. And so what we're going to be doing in January is uh, creating a report of uh, all of the international brands that enter Canada by opening standalone stores and do a bit of an analysis around that because, you know, there is a bigger story. I mean, number one, international brands are coming into the country, which are going to be competing with the brands that are already here. And they're all competing for, you know, essentially the same dollar. I mean, our population is increasing. There is a wealthy population. We do have tourists, but, you know, that percentage of retail sales is not growing anything close to the, you know, the increase in competition that we're seeing. So, uh, you know, again, international brands coming in. And then secondly, the brands opening their own stores. Again, I mean, you know, is someone going to, uh, we talked about this with Canada Goose, uh, you know, is someone going to go to the Bay to buy a Daniel Wellington watch or are they going to go to the Daniel Wellington store? Well, I don't know. I mean, if I was a Daniel Wellington shopper and if they were in Toronto uh, or if I was visiting Montreal, you know, I might be tempted to go to that Daniel Wellington store. I don't know. Um, I, I know this firsthand. Uh, Amidas, who we actually had um, brunch with at uh, La Durée a few weeks ago, she and I were shopping for a Daniel Wellington watch for a friend of hers and it was actually challenging. Uh, the style that she wanted wasn't at the Bay, and we actually found it, funny enough, at, at the Watch It store. But now, you know, with Daniel Wellington is coming into the market, that would be the first place that we would have gone because we're going to say, well, you know, the selection is there. They're probably going to have the style that she wanted. Someone broke a watch, and she was buying a replacement one, and it was a rare style or something like that. You know, it took a bit of time to find, and, the, you know, the hunt was kind of fun, but it was also time-consuming. <laughs> Well, I think that's pretty much it for all the articles. But for the e-news, we had one recent activity that happened that I wanted to bring up for our listeners. Because I think it was TD Asset Management was buying two Cadillac Fairview malls. Um, so I was one, wasn't quite sure what that meant. Because for myself, as a normal shopper, I hear people buying and selling. But I just wouldn't think of buying like a mall. So what does this mean, Craig? Yeah, or half, like 50% interest, right? So Cadillac Fairview still is going to own half of them. Yeah, uh, I mean... It really does come down to the, for the most part, money, whether or not that's, you know, short term uh, gain or long term opportunity. Uh, I think in this case, it's kind of a little bit of both. So, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, you know, CF Sherway Gardens in Toronto was one of the shopping centers. And um, so, you know, the, the Retail Council of Canada shopping center study is about to come out uh, any day now. And <laughs> uh, it's just being finalized in terms of its uh, design. And, you know, CF Sherway Gardens, I think it was the eighth most productive shopping center in Canada in terms of sales per square foot. It was $1,099 if I'm just recalling off the top of my head. So very productive shopping center in terms of its smaller retailers at sales per square foot per year. So, um, you know, again, there's an opportunity to make money from rent. Uh, you know, TD Asset Management is really looking at places to put money to make money. You know, that's part of the game of these, you know, investors is they have all kinds of money and they find places to, you know, put it in so that it can grow. Um, the other thing about CF Sherway Gardens is there are definitely plans to, you know, redevelop parts of the site, uh, you know, adding residential buildings and intensifying it, something we've talked about before. So uh, CF Care for Laval, which is where, you know, we were just talking about Daniel Wellington. Um, I'm not sure about the redevelopment uh, proposals that might be there. I mean, at some point, every shopping center in the country is going to see some sort of intensification, I suspect, if not, you know, being demolished completely. But uh, again, you know, the top shopping center in Quebec in terms of uh, sales per square foot uh, I should probably say number two because the Eaton Center in Montreal I think is a little bit higher but in terms of suburban shopping centers you know very much a leader uh, in the Montreal market and in Quebec generally so 
really these are you know some best in class shopping centers and TD asset management's looking at that and saying well you know this would be a good investment so um, I, I mean I think it's good news because it speaks to the confidence of shopping centers I mean if no one was interested in buying shares in shopping centers I think that would probably be a bigger story you know that would be sort of concerning so uh, you know because Cadillac Fairview has a really good portfolio of uh, shopping centers I mean you pretty much look at the malls that have the CFs in front of them which stands for Cadillac Fairview and they've really you know put together a great portfolio of leading shopping centers you know a lot of them have sales over $900 a square foot across the country so um, you know Cadillac Fairview's done a really good job as have the other landlords I mean you know Oxford Properties as Yorkdale a top mall in the country by sales per square foot Ivanhoe Cambridge has some amazing shopping centers Quadriel, you know, is developing Oak Ridge and is, you know, going to be redeveloping other centers as well. It's pretty interesting. And again, you know, we'll do a talk, I think, in January about the shopping center study and a bit about, uh, you know, what's happening with shopping centers, which, you know, are being, you know, really kind of turned on their head and ter- being turned into, you know, community centers with all kinds of different uses. So uh, I think, you know, the future of shopping centers is quite exciting, but, you know, they may be demauled to a degree and are becoming more like, you know, town centers. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's pretty much a wrap for 2019, Craig. So thanks again for very much, for going through the popular content for the week, as well as like for all these episodes up at this point. It's, it's awesome. And we also wanted to remind everybody that we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every morning with a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as all kinds of uh, published article links that we've exclusively published from Retail Insider. But if you go to retail-insider.com, you can subscribe and get that email in your inbox every morning. But thank you again for listening to this podcast. Please do just subscribe to be notified when new podcast episodes are published, but also to help boost our discoverability ratings to help other people find us too. And if you have a moment to rate us five stars, if you think we're awesome, then that would be very much appreciated too. But anyway, thank you and have a great happy holiday. And thank you everyone for listening throughout 2019. I just wanted to say thank you, everyone. Yay, and enjoy, everyone.